Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter, and uh, welcome to Community Fellowship Baptist Church. My name is Jay. I'm pastor here, one of the pastors at Community Fellowship Baptist Church. We are so glad uh, that you're here with us this morning, and we're we're rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're rejoicing in his resurrection, and uh, we really appreciate you being here, all of your families here. We've got a great program scheduled for today. We have kids' music this morning. We have a worship set. We have some baptisms. Uh, We have a skit. We also have a sermon, and so we got a lot to do. And so uh, I want to pray for us as we get started this morning. And again, thank you so much for being here. We're so blessed uh, that you would choose to come and worship with us today. So let's all stand together, and uh, we're going to open in a word of prayer. And then our kids are going to lead us in worship this morning with our first song. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much, God, for for just an awesome day uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that, that death did not have victory over him. Lord, that his power is greater because he's God. And thank you so much that, that when he gave his life on the cross, Lord, he, he died for our sin, for my sin. But Lord, death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. Father, thank you the third day he rose again. Thank you that we can have forgiveness in him. And God, thank you that we celebrate that every day. But God, especially today, we celebrate that. We're thankful for your goodness in our life. And God, help us to, to honor you in everything that's said and done. God, bless every family that's here And may you be glorified in everything that's said and done. We look forward to a great day with you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
lost without hope and no place to begin. And your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began, yes. Ash was redeemed only Oh, 
somebody around you. I'm thankful that you're here today. Tell somebody you are too. Amen. It's good to have you guys again this morning. Uh, this morning we have uh, six people that are going to be baptized uh, this morning, and each of them are going to come and share a personal testimony of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say this about baptism. As we read the Bible and study the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture and rightly divide the Word of God, baptism is not the gospel, and the gospel is not baptism. As a matter of fact, it's the first step of obedience after salvation, it pictures for us what's already happened in our heart and life through, through faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ in his finished work on the cross of Calvary. And so uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Cody Head and myself have the privilege uh, of baptizing six of our uh, church family, and we're really excited about that. And so this morning, I'm going to ask uh, Mikhail uh, Kazanov to come on up, and uh, he's going to share a personal testimony with you uh, of his salvation in the Lord Jesus. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mikhail, and uh, I've been at CFPC here for um, a little over a year now, and uh, it's been awesome. Um, I'm excited for today, and I just want to share uh, with you guys a, a little bit about uh, my testimony, and uh, especially here at CFPC. Um, so I was saved uh, as a young child. Uh, I remember the moment I was saved. Um, it was around probably six or seven uh, when I asked the Lord to save me from my sins. Um, but it really took a long time for me to realize and understand that, that I was truly saved uh, that day. And um, I grew up going to church, uh, going to a Christian school. I mean, and, and that was great. Um, I learned a bunch of Bible stories and memory verses and songs um, that a lot of them I still remember uh, to this day. Um, I also remember getting in trouble uh, as a kid and sinning and, and praying and ask God to forgive me of my sins. And um, when I would pray, I would repent of those sins, and uh, also remember asking God to to resave me from my sins, asking for salvation again. And um, this kind of began like a, a cycle for me. 
um, just that cycle of sinning, uh, repenting, and then asking to be resaved. And uh, that would kind of follow me all the way into my high school years, um, and kind of led me led me to a day that that I really just kind of grew tired of of living in that cycle, and um, just kind of chose to to walk away from God. And uh, I didn't understand at that time um, that. He never left me. Um, I was the one that chose to, to walk away from him. And um, throughout throughout my college years, I really just chose to live in my flesh. And, and uh, I mean, and there were times when when I would try to try to come back to God. And just usually when things got hard, and it just I would kind of end up back in that same cycle as before. Um, so just kind of fast forward uh, a couple years in, in my life, and um, I moved to Huntsville. I uh, got married, and uh, Brenna and I were uh, wanting to find a to find a local church to start attending. Um, and credit to Brenna, that was really more Brenna than than me, but um, at the time, um, so we so we began to visit a few in the area, and uh, even though we literally lived like right across the street from CFPC, um, it took a long time for us to come and visit CFPC, and. Um, it was probably like we lived there for probably I lived there for probably eight months before before we came visited. But um, there's a funny story there too. But. <laughs> um, so we began uh, we began to come and visit. Uh, we began to come regularly, and um, I remember one day hearing Pastor Jay briefly mention uh, eternal security uh, that one Sunday morning, and um, that was something that that really stood out to me. Um, it wasn't something that that I had heard or really seen in, in the Bible before and um, but there it was you know up, up on the screen that day and um, I think I remember a couple of verses he used were John uh, 5 24 he says uh, verily verily I say unto you uh, he that heareth my word and believeth on him on him that sent me hath hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation uh, but is passed from death unto life and and also, again, in uh, John 28, Christ goes on to say, um, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, uh, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And um, it kind of stuck out to me, you know, it, it kind of hit home, if you will. And uh, and over, some, over time, I, I realized that this is what I had done as a child. Uh, I'd heard the gospel. Uh, I believed that God sent his son to die for my sins, and through his grace that I was saved, and and have eternal life in Christ. Amen. And um, this was something that, that I talked and, and prayed a lot through uh, with with Colin um, during our discipleship lesson. Um, it wasn't something that just kind of all clicked for me um, in a single day. Uh, it took some time, um, took some patience. Um, but ultimately, after you know praying and talking it through with Colin, uh, I, I have felt I had peace over the fact that I've been saved during that moment when I was a child, and um, man, having that peace and, and knowing that I was saved, um, and there was nothing I could do to lose that salvation, really has been life-changing for me. Um, it's really allowed me to grow in, in Christ and in the discipleship process, and uh, just going through the, the through the discipleship lessons, and, and just, uh, I've been able to learn uh, through scripture, and uh, all the things that, that God requires of us, and uh, how these things are, are not meant to be uh, a hindrance or any, anything like that. It's just the way we are to worship God. And um, 
become more faithful to God, and, and God has given me some things and, and shown me some things through through my obedience to Him. And uh, the most recent lesson that we went through was was on baptism, and uh, I learned that baptism is you know how you publicly declare that uh, that I'm choosing to follow and to submit to Jesus Christ, and um, and that this should be my first act of obedience after being saved. And I know immediately after reading that that I needed to be baptized. Uh, so that's what I'm doing here today. And taking that step of obedience to God Amen. in front of you all. So. Amen. Amen, brother. That's good. All right, let's hit it. This is my grandson in the faith, if you will. Amen. I'm, yeah. I'm thankful for it. Amen. All right. All right, based on the profession of your faith, I'm Mikhail, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Buried in his likeness of death, raised into his likeness of the resurrection. Amen. 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 <laughs> All right. Next we have, uh, we actually have Mikhail's wife, Brenna. Brenna's going to come and share her testimony. I was prepared, but I wasn't prepared <laughs> to go after Mikkel, and now I'm emotional. <laughs> so uh, I was going to try to, you know, like give us, not use my paper, but I might end up just reading from the paper. <laughs> um, you hold your Bible? You good? Well, I had something I was going to read, and I just lost my place. Okay, hang on. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've been, my flesh has been really warring with me even for a while now and even today, so mm. just bear with me. <laughs> um, so growing up, my family was um, a part of a Seventh-day Adventist church, and um, my parents did a great job of teaching me that there's one true God who sent his son Jesus to save us from our, mm. from our sins, and um, they did an amazing job of teaching me the discipline of prayer. Um, but in terms of the religion itself, um, there were just things that I had questions about. And even as a young child, I tried to look at the scriptures and figure out the questions, but I didn't understand what they were saying. And and there was a time where um, we kind of, we didn't go to church weekly or every Sunday, and I kind of just forgot about God a little bit until I was in seventh grade. And and my best friend at the time kept inviting me to go to church with her. And I was like, I was really afraid because I didn't know anything about the Bible. And I was, I just kept saying no out of fear. And eventually I could tell that it kept making her really sad. And so eventually I was like, fine, whatever, I'll go to church with you. <laughs> and, um, and, and just going and hearing the scriptures read aloud just gave me like a desire to know more about God. And so I kept going back as much as I could. And um, just because of my background, I knew there were um, a lot of things that churches seemed to disagree about the Bible. Um, and so when we started, started studying salvation, um, this church believed that baptism saved. And as I was going through the scriptures, 
I was like, uh, I think there's some disconnect here. It's, I don't, <clears throat> um, it's, it's not exactly saying what, I, what you think it's saying. And um, so um, we were at, a, I was at a youth group devotional and <clears throat> we're all sitting beside this pool and our feet are in the pool and <clears throat> the speakers um, going over, reading scripture about um, Jesus's death and, and I just kind of had a moment where I just understood um, I understood that because of the depravity of my flesh and because of my sin, I was separated from God and destined to die, not only a physical death, but an eternal death in hell. But through Jesus alone, I could receive salvation from my sins. And um, the, the speaker in the pool is kind of going on about, well, if you go home today and you're not baptized you, and you die, and well, you're not going to be saved. And I was just kind of like, God was just like, don't get in the water. I'm just sitting there with my feet in the water, like staring at it. And he's like, don't get in the water. Don't tell anyone and go home and pray to me. And I was in eighth grade and, you know, like dramatic and like, oh, I got to tell my best friend everything. And, and I didn't say a word to anyone. And I went home and prayed and, and told him um, that I needed him. And I asked him to save me. And, and I also told him that I was just kind of confused about what, <clears throat> the church was saying about baptism and what I was reading about in the scriptures, and I asked him to show me um, the truth. Um, but um, a, a few weeks later, I ended up kind of getting like pressured into getting baptized, even when I didn't really fully understand its purpose. <clears throat> and um, so, as I've been going through discipleship, we came to the baptism lesson, and I just really struggled in my flesh in this lesson and it kind of just made me just irritated from the beginning and I told my disciple Leslie I was like like I don't want you to tell me what you think I should do and I really don't want any person to tell me what they think that I should do I just want to hear from God and God alone and so we've spent many weeks in prayer and I kind of was still like, you know, I think I need to be baptized, but but I'm just not convinced. And I remembered um, a verse in Acts chapter 19 that um, Pastor Jay had mentioned in one of his sermons. And I went and read it, and um, it says, And it came to pass that, wait, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's, John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Jesus. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so I asked myself, "Well, until what was I baptized?" And really, it was an unsound doctrine that baptism saves. And um, I don't want there to be any discrepancy between what the Word says and what my life reflects. And so I wanted to stand before everyone here today and say 
that I understand and agree that water baptism is the first act of obedience. It's a public testimony of my salvation. And it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I'm thankful for this couple. Amen. They have fell right in with us and they have just served and I'm thankful for them. All right, based on the profession of your faith, Brennan, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised into the likeness of his resurrection. Ready? <laughs> All right, next we have uh, Courtney Brewer. Courtney's going to come and share her testimony. Give her a hand as she comes. This is hard. You give a teacher a microphone and she'll be here forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unlike most of them, um, I was only saved about five weeks ago. And that is, um, <laughs> yeah. um, I, um, first want to thank you guys because you accepted my daughter before me because she's been here for over a year and you just let me fall into place. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> um, I grew up like, um, most people. I was raised in the church, but a Catholic church. So I was um, baptized at birth. Um, and I didn't know, um, being raised like that, that this could even be possible again. <laughs> because I was under the belief that when you were born, you were already sinning because that was how I was raised. Um, but what I found weird was one side of my family was Baptist, <laughs> except for my mom and dad. The other side was Methodist. But see, this is where my life derailed. My parents were divorced when I was four. And my mother, of course, was shunned from the Catholic Church because she was divorced. And of course, I was, you know, raised in the Catholic Church and going to the Catholic school. When I was nine, she remarried to my father. That's who I call my dad, who's been in my life for almost 40 years. Um, my stepdad is Catholic as well. We did start attending the church again, but when he joined the military, of course, moving around, we couldn't stay with one church. 
Um, re religion and God were always present in my life. And I thank my grandmother for that because she kept me in the Methodist church. And I saw that when she passed away almost four months ago because the preacher that preached her service was the preacher that I grew up with when I attended church with her. And she said to, he said to me that as a young teenager and child, that what he adored the most about me was how grateful and thankful I was for what he preached on Sunday and how I would always tell him that on Sunday, how it touched me what he had preached on Sundays and how they spoke to me. So as I grew and we moved around and I landed here in Alabama, thanks to my dad, I just so happened to end up at Judson College in Marion, Alabama, which is an all-women's Baptist college. But I did not know its long-standing career or the Baptist tradition that it held. But I did not find what I was looking for when I was there besides my college degree because I watched people not act how I thought they should act in front of me. They would act one way on Sundays when we went to church and then a different way Monday through Saturday. I felt as though I really didn't have a place when I was there. So when moving to Decatur, yeah, that's where my career started, and I taught there for 16 years, I never really did find a church home. I was teaching and working, not married, with no guidance, just best friend, which I know she's watching, by my side. 17 years ago, I was introduced to my husband by his sister at a party. A year later, we were married. We really never really discussed religion. We just knew that we wanted our children to be able to choose and decide for themselves on how they wanted to go to church and to choose how they wanted to walk with their path with the Lord. My husband has been saved and baptized, as well as Shelby. That left me and now our son, Graham. See, about eight years ago, Ashley, Alex, and Maddie stepped into our lives. Started in daycare. They were in kindergarten together a year later. Little did I know that that path that crossed was going to lead us here. They worked and worked and worked for years on us. But I think that was God. And he had a plan all along to put them in our lives. The closest that those two girls share, I hope never wavers as they enter their last four years of their high school.
I think God vowed them to work on me a little more to show me that I could do this all over again and that the way that I wanted to walk with Jesus. Today, I think there's a couple of people in heaven that are looking down. One of them telling me this is 132 days until football. <laughs> and he, I think that they would be very proud of me. And the decisions we've made, I've made for my life and my families. I'll be forever grateful for Ashley, Alex, and Maddie for coming into my life, praying for me every day, to my family for always being patient, patient with me. I'm a lot of work every day. To my new church family, thank you for never placing judgment on me. I truly feel like I have a home here. So that there was a... Um, James 2.13 spoke for me. I saw it the other day. And it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy does not excuse bad behavior or shields people from the consequences or bad decisions. But mercy tempers over tendency to judge people too quickly. Because mercy remembers that everyone has the image of God. That we never know where we stand or stay. I remember a couple of weeks ago, five weeks ago, Courtney was in the service. We gave the invitation. The invitation was, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know you have an assurance of eternity when you, when you die, raise your hand. The raising of your hand doesn't make you saved, but it, it makes you acknowledge, hey, I need Jesus, right? Yeah. Hand went straight up. And uh, by God's grace, one of the ladies that she mentioned was able to take her out and open the Bible, Ashley Mullins, and along with uh, Jamie Hammond, take the Bible and show Courtney how she could know for sure yeah. that she was forgiven of her sin in Christ and how she could receive Christ by faith, faith alone. And she prayed to receive Christ that morning. And uh, it, it's just an amazing testimony of God's grace. We love this family. We love the Mullins family. We're thankful that this is fruit to their account yeah. at the judgment Amen. seat of Christ. And, uh, and we're glad you found a home. Even though you're an Ohio State fan, <laughs> we let you... We let you wear your Ohio State stuff without judgment, and that is God's grace right there. So thank you, the Lord, and so I'm really excited to baptize Courtney. Based on your profession of faith, Courtney, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. All right. Next up, we have Joshua Hammond. And so Joshua can go ahead and come. It is. Go ahead, brother. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say, but um, I've been in this church for seven years, or about seven years. And before my walk with Christ, I was a thief, a liar, and I was, and was disobedient to my parents. Up until the summer of, of 2017, me and my sister were heading back to Alabama 
after staying with our grandparents in South Carolina. When we got back, my dad talked to me about how I was how, how I was acting very bitter and harsh towards them. That was when he read scriptures and verses from the Bible to me and said that Christ died on the cross for my sin and everyone else's. That was when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. But over, the fi over those five years, my relationship with Christ was drifting away. And I still acted rebellious, and I didn't really know if I was saved because I wasn't doing what the Lord told me to do. But a few days later, my, after my dad talked to me about baptism, I realized that I have, I have been so caught up with the world around me that I was ignoring Christ. Hmm. And that night, I prayed to him and asked him for forgiveness. Hmm. And the next day, I read my Bible first thing in the morning and prayed to the Lord at night before I went to bed. And I just started repeating it up until this day. And I was able to find my way back again. Amen. It, this, I know this is short, but I hope it can help new church members. My name is Joshua Hammond, and this is my testimony. Thank you. Amen. Good job, dude. All right, man. Love this kid, man. Excited for his testimony, excited for his family. He's got the best hair in the church, man. There's, there's, there's no doubt Amen. about it. He absolutely, and I'm jealous of that, honestly. Because <laughs> when I bend over in a second, you're going to see why. But uh, I, I love this brother, and I love this family. And so uh, let's get you baptized, man. Based on your profession of faith, Joshua, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness yeah. of his resurrection. Amen. Good job, man. All right, next up we have John Martell. John's going to come and share his testimony. Good job. Before I had accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I struggled, I struggled hard, heavily with my spiritual connection to God. After hearing multiple of Jay's sermons, something in me had clicked, and I had realized I needed to be saved to have a better relationship with God. Because going to church is only the first part of understanding His Word. January 31st of last year is when uh, something Jay had said during the sermon it hit me hard. And that's when I realized I needed to be saved. Since, my, uh, since then, my relationship with God has gradually grown each and every day. Amen. Good job, John. I'll tell you what, man. I'm another young man that I'm super proud of, and I mean that, uh, 
to be willing to say, hey, I need to be saved. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then, not only that, to acknowledge that, but then to say, you know what, I need to be baptized too, because that's the first step of obedience. So salvation is so simple that a child can understand it. But let me just tell you, it's an adult decision. It's an adult decision. And, and to, to then follow up and say, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ in obedience. And this first step of obedience truly is being baptized so that I can identify with his death, burial, and resurrection publicly. That's a big deal. And so for young people to, to have enough faith, not only to get saved, but then to say, I'm going to follow Christ with my life at this age, praise God for that. What an amazing testimony. So we rejoice with you, John. Proud of you. So, brother, based on your profession of, of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Grab your nose. There you go. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Proud of you, man. All right, we got one more. Uh, next up, last up, last but certainly not least. Uh, this one's special to me. Where's that tissue? <laughs> uh, my daughter, Nora Shug. And so she's going to come and share her testimony. Hello, my name is Nora Shug. I got saved June 20th, 2019 at FCA camp. I felt the burden to sin against God. I realized sin is breaking God's law, and I realized that if I didn't get saved, then I would go to hell. I asked him to forgive me of my sin because he died on a cross for me and my sin. Now that I am saved, I don't feel that burden, and I know I will spend eternity with him. I feel like I should get baptized because the Bible says it's the next step after getting saved. I learned from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, that Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were learning about baptism. Philip taught the eunuch that he had to be saved first in order to be baptized. I learned from the story that the next step to being saved is getting baptized. Good great job. Oh, man. The water is really warm, I promise. It's Yeah, you're good. Oh man, goodness. All right. I love you. And I'm proud of you. All right. So Nora, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my daughter and my sister, in Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Good job. All right. I've said it. I'll say it again. This disciple stole his body. It's that simple. You don't have to believe it. They just did what they had to do to support their myth. Except the idea of them taking the body is almost as ludicrous as what actually happened. Okay, you see this? This is a Roman seal. Now, it may not mean much to you, 
But when I use this to seal anything, whether it is a letter, a deed of property, or a tomb, it means everything. Whatever has this seal on it is under the supreme authority of the entire Roman government. So, these religious leaders who had this guy, who had Jesus executed, they were just convinced that his followers were going to steal his body and try to convince people that he resurrected from the dead. So they demanded that Pilate seal the tomb. That's where I come in. So I sealed it with the full weight of Caesar himself. And then there were 16 of us standing arm's length apart, surrounding the tomb, right? So this idea that we dozed off and they stole the body, huh? Do you know what happens to a soldier who falls asleep at his post? Best case scenario, he is beaten and burned. In all actuality, what would have happened is all 16 of us would have been executed. So no, as the story goes, we did not fall asleep and they did not steal the body. But I was paid good money to tell that story. How am I doing so far? You want to know something that is crazier than that story that morning the earth began to shake under our feet and this enormous being appeared it, it doesn't matter how hard I try I can't I can't do it justice all you need to know is this when I looked inside that tomb and that man who I had seen executed in the most brutal crucifixion I had ever witnessed was gone. So why are the 16 of us still alive? I'm telling you the real story. The truth is, he wasn't just gone. He was alive. He is alive. Amen, amen. What a good day so far, amen. Well, I'm, I'm privileged to open the Word of God. I know some of you are like looking at your clock thinking, man, there's no way he can get a sermon in. Try me. <laughs> I can with your cooperation, I promise. Uh, if you got a Bible this morning, I would ask you to open it to John chapter 3. And you can actually get John chapter 3 in your right hand and, and Numbers 21 in your left hand. And uh, man, God is so good. 
the fact that we can worship together, we can rejoice together, that we can, we can hear testimony of people that have surrendered their life to Christ. The fact that, man, a skit demonstrates to us the reality of the resurrection, even through a Roman soldier who was, who was tasked to guard a tomb at the, at the risk of his own life. Man, it's just a powerful reminder that Christ did what he said he was going to do. John chapter 3 is a, is a verse, not necessarily a, a typical Easter passage, but we're going to use it as a launch point this morning. In John chapter 3, there's a, a conversation between Jesus Christ and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a, he's a master of Israel. He's a teacher of the law. He's a very educated man. He's a very religious man. And the first part of the chapter, Jesus begins this dialogue with, with Nicodemus, and he says, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And except a man be born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. And so the conversation turns into this, this idea of the new birth. And, and so Nicodemus is really having a hard time understanding what Christ is, is communicating and what he's talking about. Nicodemus thinks he's talking about a physical birth. He even asks, how can a man enter into the womb the second time. This doesn't make sense what you're saying, Jesus. And it's in this context to this religious man, to this Pharisee who's educated in the Old Testament law, it's in the context of this that we get to verses 13 and 14 in the passage. Verse 13 says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And that's what we kind of celebrate at Christmas, right? We, we celebrate the coming of Christ, he that came down from heaven. Christ came to earth. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the mystery of godliness. But then in verse 14, it says, and, and that conjunction and connects that back to the previous verses. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And and so this morning, this Sunday morning, we certainly celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that's what this Sunday is all about. But but before there was a resurrection, and many of you know this, there was a brutal death on the cross of Calvary of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. And it and it was something that Nicodemus needed to understand in a very special way. And so for this master of Israel to, to truly understand what Christ was talking about this new birth, the forgiveness that's available in Jesus Christ, what he does in verse 14 is he, he tells a, a story and makes a connection that this Pharisee would have known about. Because he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And, and now I'd ask you to take your Bible and just flip back to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21, because this is the story that Jesus used to connect the dots in Nicodemus's life and mind. It's the story of Israel in the wilderness in the Old Testament, and, and it's a great story. It's a great picture for us, and there's some practical application this morning that I think in the next maybe 20 minutes we can knock out and understand very quickly. Numbers 21, verses 1 to 6, let me just read the context to you. It says, when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel, and he took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If thou will indeed deliver this people into my hand, I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel, 
and delivered up the Canaanites and utterly destroyed them and their cities. And they called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. And here's what they said. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And what they're talking about is the manna that God had provided for them. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it it has everything to do with everything, because this morning, what we're going to see is the physical condition of Israel in Numbers 21, and God wants to paint a picture for us. And so, number one, let me get this in your notes, if if you're taking notes this morning. Number one, what we see in Israel is a defeated people. God had called this nation out of Egypt. God had called them to victory. God had called them to Canaan. And yet, in verse 1, they had an enemy that rose up, Arad the Canaanite. And the Bible says that that Arad fought against Israel, and he took some of them prisoners. And, And so these people were experiencing defeat in their life. Anybody in the room ever experienced defeat in your life? Man, you thought you thought God had something better for you? And then all of a sudden, you're on the receiving end of an adversary, an enemy, that all of a sudden is, is, is fighting against you and, and possibly even taking you captive in some key area in your life. That's what Israel was facing in Numbers chapter 21. Number two, they were a discouraged people because it says, as they were journeying by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, their soul was much discouraged because of the way. And, and in other words, the journey was just too much for them, and, and their soul began to be discouraged. They, they lived, and, and honestly, if you read the Old Testament and, and this, this, this journey of Israel, they lived in a continual state of discouragement. I mean, listen, they were constantly discouraged. God called them out of Egypt. God had a place for them to land, the land of Canaan. And during that journey, it was just defeat and discouragement. Defeat and discouragement. Defeat and discouragement. Numbers 32, verse 9, it says, When they went up to the valley of Eskol, they saw the land, the land that God had intended for them. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And that's the story of the 12 spies at Kadesh Barnea. The point is, God had something better, but because of defeat and discouragement, they never saw it accomplished. And listen, there's people in this room that are living defeated lives. There's people in this room that are discouraged beyond belief because life's hard. Life's hard. And man, we experience difficulty. We experience discouragement. Number three, Israel was a disagreeing people, verse 5. And so the people spake against God and against Moses and said, Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread. Not true. Neither is there any water not true. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Now, wait a second. I thought you just said you didn't have any bread. No, it's just that we don't like the bread that we have. We don't like the water we have. You see, Israel's soul wasn't satisfied. God had given them the basic necessities that they needed. He gave them food. He gave them water. He even promised their clothing wouldn't wear out. Now, listen, you know, we... we, I don't wear a suit often, but, but when I do, it's this one, because I can, this is like the only one I can get into, 
And even this morning, that was a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> because the donut diet ain't really working, on, uh, working good for me, all right? So I had to, you know, and finally got the pants buttoned, and it was all good. Man, listen, uh, we, we have what we need. Even, even their garments, wasn't, they weren't going to wear out. They weren't going to get holes in them. Man, God promised to, to provide what they needed for the journey. And yet, they had a lack of contentment. They had a lack of, of, of contentment in what God had given them. Sounds like every American ever. And here's what happened when they, when they weren't content with what God gave them and provided for them. They began to dis- disagree and speak out against those in leadership. Okay, so there was a lack of reverence for the Lord because the Lord is the ultimate authority. There was a lack of reverence and respect for, for Moses, who was the leader of the nation of Israel. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to get political this morning. I'm just trying to stay biblical. Man, our lack of com- contentment many times in our life has us speaking out against people that God has put in our life to lead us. Whether you voted for them or not, whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, okay, okay, God's a God of order and authority. And, and, and yet, in our, in our displeasure, we tend to be pretty disagreeing people. We tend to be pretty disagreeing people. You say, well, I disagree with that statement. Of course you do. I expected you to say that. Absolutely, of course you disagree with it. And then number four, listen, Israel was a dying people because God said, you know what? This is unacceptable. And so verse six says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. And and listen, from a guy that doesn't like snakes at all, like if there's a snake within even close proximity of the house, burn the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, burn it down. I cannot imagine this story unfolding. They're, they're, the Lord sends these fiery serpents into the camp of Israel. God's judgment against Israel and their rebellion and their murmuring was a fiery judgment. And because of this judgment, much people died. That means young people died, old people died, rich people died, poor people died, prominent people in Israel died, those that seemed to be insignificant, they died. The consistent thing is they all died. If they were bit, they died. You say, what in the world does this have to do with Easter? I'm glad you asked. Because this morning, we need to understand that the physical conditions of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament represent for us a picture of our own spiritual condition before the Lord. God is using the Old Testament in Nicodemus's life to paint a picture to unlock his understanding that we, as well as all of humanity, have a problem. And the problem isn't that we don't have enough bread to eat. We, we still got some donuts over there, by the way. And I'll be hitting, hitting the donut table. I told David this morning, I was like, hey, man, we need at least like 10 dozen donuts. And he was like, that seems like a lot. I was like, well, maybe I'm hungry. I mean, just, just get 10 dozen, man. My soul is loathing one donut. I need like six. <laughs> Bring the donuts. And so we have a lot of donuts left over. Man, but we have a problem called sin, and, and, and when sin manifests itself, we become a, a defeated people and a discouraged people and a disagreeing people and a dying people. Man, listen, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that we have an adversary just like Israel had an adversary. We have an adversary, but he's not a Canaanite. The Bible says he's the, the devil. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
And man, the devil has waged war against humanity since the Garden of Eden, and he hasn't stopped since. And you need to understand there's a real enemy that desires for you to be destroyed. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Remember, the nation of Israel, they were taken prisoner because of that Canaanite. And listen, in our life spiritually, the devil, man, he's able to ensnare us. He's our adversary. He comes against us. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says he blinds us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, we're defeated people. And we're defeated because we have an adversary. And we're defeated because we're discouraged. We, 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 because of our sin nature, because of our brokenness before our almighty God, we're broken people, man. We, we live life discouraged. You know, Colossians 3 and verse 21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And can I tell you, before a person accepts Christ, before a person accepts Christ, they're part of the devil's spiritual family. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And listen, as as an unsaved person, as someone who's lost and doesn't know Christ, we're locked into that spiritual family of the devil, man. We're against Christ, and we're provoked, by the way, because of him. And Christ is able to make us born again in Jesus Christ. Christ is able to make us born again into God's family, God's spiritual family. I appreciate what Courtney said earlier. Listen, Man, a lot of people would just say, hey, we're all part of God's family. Well, not if you're not born into it. And the way you're born into it is not by joining a church or a religious act. It's by being born again in the person of Jesus Christ by faith. And, 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 so, and so listen, God's painting this picture for us that our defeat and our discouragement is ultimately because of our sin. Number, number three, man, we're disagreeing people. Okay, I didn't expect an amen there. That's okay. We have a problem with authority. We have a problem with God's authority. We have a a problem with human authority. Why do we have that problem? We have that problem because of sin. You see, I want to sit on the throne of authority in my own life. How about you? You do too. And and no one else is going to tell me what to do, even God. Now, you would never say that out loud, but you've said it right here, and I have too. And, and we become disagreeing people, man, because of our sin. As a matter of fact, God is the ultimate authority. God works through all authority, systems of authority, whether you voted for him or not, it doesn't matter. Romans 13 says, let every soul be subject to the higher power. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoso therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they shall receive to themselves damnation. God's established all authority. Man, government authority, you know. And you get reminded of that every now and then when you get pulled over and the policeman writes you a nice little citation for your speed. You guys know what I'm talking about? You exercised rebellion against authority. Anybody? When I was in college, man, I felt like I was funding the police, man. You know, this whole, this whole defund the police movement, man, I was funding the police like in college. Man, it was just like, I'm surprised they didn't take away my keys, man. I had several... I actually ran from the police one time. Is my mom in this room? 
I hope not. <laughs> but I was driving her car. Anyways, that's a long story. You don't need to hear about that. <laughs> Actually, my mom doesn't need to hear about it. But I ran from the police. And they, yeah, I got to tell it. She is in here. She's like, because she remembers this night. I passed this joker man coming home late, went way later than I should have come home. And, uh, and uh, I was speeding. And then I saw him. And I slowed down for about two seconds. And then I realized, I'm about half a mile, three quarters of a mile from home. I can make it. <laughs> and so right after I slowed down, I downshifted and hit it, you know, <laughs> and uh, took a corner, a 90-degree corner, way too fast, and a car that really wasn't capable to do that. Power slid into the driveway, and the police came in right behind me. <laughs> And so now our front, front yard's lit up like a Christmas tree, you know, and, and it's getting my mom out of bed. I actually asked the police officer, I was like, can you go ahead and take me to jail because I'm about to have to walk in. My mom was standing on the front porch. She's going to be like, I can't believe you told that story. Okay. You know, the problem, the problem is I had a problem with authority. I had a problem with authority. I had a problem with my mom's authority, my dad's authority. I had a problem with God's authority. I had a problem with that policeman's authority. He told me I broke his speed limit and I didn't like it, but he gave me a nice little written citation to remind me that he was the boss you know we have a problem with authority the reason we have a problem is because of our sin you know children listen I know we got young people in the room this morning and by the way you guys are rocking it during the service I mean you really are can I just tell you Colossians 3 and verse 20 God tells us that that children are to obey their parents in all things this is well pleasing to the Lord and when you struggle and rebel against parental authority it's not because your parents are idiots it's because you're in sin you're a sinner. You, you rebel against authority. There's order in our homes. There's order in the family. There's order in the church. There's authority in the church. The point is, man, we have a problem submitting, not because we're American, but because we have a, a sin nature. We have a sin problem. And ultimately, all of this leads to the reality that because of our sin, we're defeated and we're discouraging and we're disagreeing, but ultimately, it points to the reality that because of our sin, we're all dying. We're dying, and we are dead in our sin. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5 verses 12 to 14 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. And man, listen, when we read about Israel in Numbers 21, and we read about all their struggle and then we see, ultimately, man, they're bitten by these fiery serpents. All it is is just a picture. It's just a picture of what we face in a very real way spiritually. That God is trying to teach us we have a sin problem. And we can't overcome it. And so, look, God knew we couldn't overcome it ourselves. And so here's the good news this morning. God had a solution to Israel's sin. And so let's go back to Numbers 21 in the last few minutes that we have. And I just want to kind of wrap this thing up and show you what God did for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Look at verse 7. It says this, Therefore the people came to Moses, and they said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten... When he looketh upon it, shall live. 
And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man while he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Man, I'm thankful that there's a God in heaven that didn't leave his creation in the state that they were in. He didn't leave, leave them without a solution to their sin problem. God could have, but he didn't because he's gracious. He's merciful. And so how did God do this? Well, number one, the people began to come to Moses. They came to Moses. And they, when they came to Moses, that was a key moment. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that Moses is synonymous with the law. The Old Testament law, and, and many times when, when the Pharisees in the New Testament, when they talked about the law, they would just connect it back to the person of Moses because the law came through Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic law. John 1 verse 17 says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so when the people came to Moses, what God's showing us in Numbers 21 is they recognized that they had sinned against God. So get this, the law is what reveals our sin. Man, if there's, no, if there's no standard of like God's law, the Ten Commandments, for example, then you don't know that you violate God's character and nature. But once he's revealed that, then it reveals the fact that we fall short of that. That's what Paul helped us understand in Romans chapter 3. He says, now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and that the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Listen, for by the law is the what? It's the knowledge of what? Of sin. And so, and so by the law, God, God's law, don't do this. I did that. Well, well, God said don't do it, and I did it, so what does that make it? It makes it sin. It, it, it reveals my sinful nature. It reveals my sinful choices. Romans 7 and verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Paul says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And so as the people come to Moses, it's a picture of them recognizing that they have sinned against God. And that's the first step. Matter of fact, you, you can't get saved without acknowledging that you're a sinner. Christ died for sin, and he died for sinners. And so anybody in the room that thinks they're not a sinner need not apply. But man, if you're a sinner in, needs of God, in need of God's grace, then there's good news this morning because there's freedom from the judgment of sin. Get this key in your notes. God's law is a fiery law. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 2, when... when when it talks about this law that came down to Mount Sinai, I'll just pay attention to the last part of the verse. It says, from his right hand went a fiery law for them. What kind of serpent was biting the nation of Israel? It was a fiery serpent. Why? Because, because God's law is a fiery law. And once they came to Moses, they realized that they had sinned, and, and that's why God gave the law. So that we can understand that we fall short of God's glory, God's standard of righteousness. God is holy and just and righteous. And man, in our sinful nature, we fall short of that. We've been bitten. We've been bitten by the fiery serpent of sin. And, and, and sin is what separates us from a holy God. Okay, so the next thing that they do is in verse 7, it says, The people confessed their sin. That's your note. And, and, and they said, we've sinned. And, and listen, they even called out their own specific sin. 
They didn't just leave it a global thing like, hey, we're all sinners. No, 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 no. They actually said, we have sinned. Here's what we've done. We've spoken against the Lord and against thee, right? And so since the law reveals our sin and we've all sinned, we need to recognize and confess that, that we're sinners. We're really easy to spot that in other people's lives, by the way. A lot harder to, to look at it in our own life, isn't it? I can really easily pick out your sin. But to own my own and say, you know what? Between me and the Lord, I realize that I fall short. Well, it takes a lot of humility to do that. When you're convinced that you've sinned against God, and by the way, their sin was against God, they, they confessed it. You heard this morning, people said, you know what, I, I, I realize I needed to accept Christ because I've sinned against God. And I, I realize that his judgment of sin is righteous and holy and perfect. And, and I need to repent of that. And so I want you to understand from the story, listen, their confession wasn't enough to save them, by the way. Their acknowledgement of their sin, although good, wasn't enough to actually save them. Because you can confess your sin to a man like Moses. You can confess it to a religious person. You can even confess your sin to a spouse or a parent. But listen, that will not save you from the penalty of your sin. Acknowledging it and even confessing it won't work. So what do you... So what do we do? Well, here's what we do. And here's what God had Israel do. Moses, the leader, pointed the nation of Israel to a serpent on a pole. Look at verses 8 and 9. So God tells Moses, he says, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So the answer, the answer was, okay, Moses, make this brazen serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up in the camp of Israel, and anybody that's bitten can just look and live. You say, that sounds ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. And yet, God said, if you'll do that, you won't have to die. You can live. So get this key in your notes. Listen, Moses was powerless to pardon the nation of Israel's sin. The law couldn't do it. Moses is synonymous with the law, and there's nothing that they could do in their own power to make it right. And just because, Mo in the same way Moses was powerless to pardon their sin, in the same way the law is powerless to pardon our sin, because it, by the deeds of the law there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. And so we have to turn our way of thinking to God's solution and God's solution points to a great Old Testament picture of what Christ did for us. So that brazen serpent in your Old Testament is a picture of the person of Jesus Christ. That's why John chapter 3, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, hey, you remember that, that brazen serpent in the Old Testament? Remember how they raised that serpent up and all of Israel that were bitten when they would just look at the serpent and behold it? You remember how they were... They were saved. They were forgiven. They didn't have to die. They could live. Yeah, that's me. That's what he's saying. That's what, that's what Christ is saying. And, and so, real quick, I know we're out of time, but listen, that brass that that serpent was made of symbolizes God's judgment for sin. 
brass all the way through the Bible shows us a picture or type of God's judgment. There was a brazen altar in Exodus 27 where sacrifices were made to be reconciled back to God rightly in the Old Testament. That brass represents God's judgment that's required for sin, and that serpent represents or symbolizes Christ who became sin for us. You say, wait a second, I thought the serpent in the Bible was the devil. That's right. And I thought the serpent in the Bible is sin. That's right. And Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For he hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, listen, who knew no sin, that we might be made partakers of righteousness, the righteousness of God in him. Christ was made to be sin. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, Moses, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 to 5 says, It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. You can sacrifice as many animals as you want. It won't wash away your sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, Christ, he saith, Sacrificed and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And Christ came, God manifest in the flesh. That body that came to this earth was God's body. And it was a body that was made to receive the judgment of God, our judgment. And it was a body that would be made sin who didn't know any sin. I mean, do you understand what happened on the cross of Calvary? Do you understand that that body, God's body, was made to receive the judgment of God in that person so that I wouldn't have to receive it? And that and that, that body was made sin for you and for me. And listen, he never knew sin. He kept the law perfectly. He was made under the law. And yet he never violated the law. And yet his body became sin for us so that he could redeem us, who, who ourselves are dead in trespasses and sins, man. Uh, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Yeah. Lastly, that brazen serpent was put on a pole. And that pole in the Old Testament symbolizes the cross, the method of his death. John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33 Christ himself says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Philippians 2 and verse 8, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Can I just tell you that all Moses could do in Numbers 21 when the people came and realized they had sinned, when the people came and confessed their sin, Moses didn't have some magical way to say, okay, your sins are forgiven you, go in peace. Say some religious chants, give some money. That's not what he said. All he could say is, listen, I get it, man. All I can tell you to do is look. Look to the serpent on the pole. And if you'll look, you'll live. That's all Moses could do was point people to the pole of the brazen serpent and all Israel, and that's your last blank, all Israel had to do was look and live. 
The Bible says, if a serpent had bitten any man when he had beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Man, listen, I know we have to wind it down. I wish you packed a lunch. We could go a little longer. I want you to understand today, as powerful as the resurrection is, there is no resurrection without a death. And we have to understand that Christ died for our sin. He became sin for us. And that offer of forgiveness and grace and salvation, by the way, is available to any man that's been bitten by sin. In other words, in the camp of Israel that day, there weren't certain people that Moses said, you know what, you can look and you can't. And God has somehow chosen which of you are going to die and which of you are going to live. No, it's available to any man. And I want you to know this morning that salvation is available to any man or woman, child in this room. We've heard testimony of men, women, and children today that understood their need for a Savior, that bowed their head and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and received His free gift of salvation by faith. We just have people that beheld the cross. And they said, man, I need that. Do you need that this morning? You know, the simplest answer for any of us is just to look and live. Now, I want you to go back to Numbers 21 real quick, and we're done. By the way, anybody in the camp of Israel that had been bitten by a serpent would be a fool to not look and be healed through God's provision that he had given them. How foolish to reject. I know what God said, but I'm just going to blind my eye. I'm turning my face. I'm not going to look. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Good luck. You'll die. God's provision is perfect. And salvation is available through the person of Jesus Christ to any person in this room. And if you don't know your sins are forgiven, they can be forgiven today by you looking to Christ and believing that what he did on the cross of Calvary is sufficient to pay for your sin. Numbers 21, verse 10, we're done. So man, they looked and they lived. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 10 says, And the children of Israel set forward. They set forward. You say, well, that's dumb. What does that mean? It means that wasn't the, the end of their story. And there's some people in this room that know Christ as Lord and Savior, but you've stopped following the Lord. You haven't, you haven't continued to set forward and follow God to the place that God wants to get you. And I would encourage you this morning that if you are saved, God's not done with you yet. God has a journey for you to be on. God has purposes for you to accomplish. God has a life to be lived for his glory. But you've got to do that by, by faith. You've got to choose to set forward with him. And so, man, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have a moment of, of prayer and reflection, and then we'll dismiss. Father, we do love you this morning, God. I pray as, as we bow our heads to you, Lord, we, we reflect on what you've done for us in the cross of Calvary. God, there may be some people in this room this morning that, that, number one, they don't, before they walked in, didn't even realize, oh, goodness, this is what this is all about. It's what, what Christ did 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, and, and now I understand that I'm a sinner, and now I understand that Christ made provision for me. And maybe there's some people that need to be saved today. 
God, would you move on their heart to acknowledge their sin and to confess their sin to you, but, 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 but more than anything, look to Christ by faith and his finished work. Maybe there's people here today that are saved, but God, they're not following you. They're not walking with you. They're not, as Israel in the wilderness, they're not setting forward in motion. As a matter of fact, they've fallen back and they're backslidden against you. God, would you call them to repentance today? We know you're ready to forgive. You're ready to restore. You're ready to encourage the discouraged. You're ready to give victory to the defeated. Would you have your will accomplished today? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, church, very quickly, number one, if you're here today and you would say, Jay, I know I'm saved because I've looked at the cross. I know I'm saved because I've looked at the cross. Would you raise your hand as a testimony to God? I know I'm saved. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, Jay, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I've been forgiven of my sin. And I need to know more about this. I need to understand it more. I need to exercise faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, can I have the privilege of praying for you? No one's going to come to you or embarrass you. But would you raise your hand and say, that's me, Jay. Would you pray for me? I need to understand how to be saved today. Anyone at all? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Jay, I know I'm saved. But the truth is, like Israel, I've just not been moving forward in my life, in my walk with Christ. And I'm thankful that he saved me from a fiery judgment of hell through his shed blood. I need to honor him with my life. I need to walk with him as he moves forward and leads me. If that's you today, can I pray for you? Would you raise your hand and say, man, that's me. God bless your hands. Let's all stand together as we pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, as we begin to sing this song of invitation, as we prepare to dismiss, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. May Christ be glorified in everything that's said and done. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my
love you. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the shed blood on the cross, God. Thank you for the power of the resurrection, the victory that we have in him over death, hell, and the grave. God, thank you for this service. Thank you for these people, these families represented here. God, as we plan to dismiss, God, would you help us just to go in your, your safety? God, help us to have grace today. Help us to enjoy the time with our families and help us to be about your business. We want to honor and glorify you with our life. Thank you for those that have served in our children's ministry. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.